So <laughs> excuse me as I press something on my laptop. <laughs> all right, there we go. We get this thing figured out. We get it. There's, all right, well, I don't, who made this beautiful pulpit? I do not know. Um, we may have to do a technology retrofit on this. I'm not really sure. We'll work through that. Matthew chapter 17. If you did not receive one of the bulletins this morning, um, and maybe you're, you're new with us, the outline is right inside. That's coupled uh, together every Sunday now for us. We'll be doing this um, moving uh, forward. If you did not receive one of these this morning and you would like one, you just raise your hand up. I want to see if we need to pass it out. we got a couple over, okay, towards the center and towards the back. All right, Brother Jeffrey will take care of that if you just keep that in. Brother Jeffrey, we have more up here if you need them, okay? All right, very good. He'll get those out to you. Thank you for raising your hand. Matthew chapter 17, a very interesting passage, I think, as we are continuing to walk through the life of our Lord. I have entitled the uh, message this morning, if I can get up to it, Are You a Good Citizen? I'm trying to run this on my own laptop so the, the men in, and the young men in the back can uh, pay attention to the message. We all, we all need to hear from the Lord. We do. And, it is my privilege to um, be one of the men in the lead that get to share these things with you from God's word, but even I need to hear from the Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I can sit in on classes and Bible studies with you as well from time to time, and I get to, of course, you as a church are very gracious to send me to an occasional conference, and uh, the blessing of 2022, podcasts galore everywhere. It's no end to the amount of teaching and preaching of the Word of God that even I can get a hold of, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. This morning, are you a good citizen? As we're celebrating Jesus Christ's birth during this time in, in our, in, you know, Thomasville 2022, December, Jesus here in our passage is introducing his men to his death. We're in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. Read along with me if you would. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast in a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take given to them for me and thee. What an interesting, interesting passage, is it not? Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we need spiritual eyes and ears this morning. Lord, would you please open them so that we can see your truth. Father, I do not know the state of the hearts in this room, but you do. You know that it's very likely there is a few in this room that do not know you as Lord and Savior. 
Father, would you bring an honesty to them today? Would you allow them to see their need and their sin? And they would, they would run to you in repentance and faith. Lord, those of us who are born again, Lord, we are a child of God by supernatural birth into your kingdom. When we responded to the infinite and gracious gift that you sent to us, Lord, yourself dying on the cross for our sins, Lord, we responded by faith. We believed. We turned from our sin and were so willing to follow you. Lord, would you help us today as you go through and you teach your disciples how they were to walk on this earth after you left, Father, we continue that. We hold to these truths because they're classic, Lord. They never change. We're thankful for that, Lord, this morning. Please teach us. In your name I ask, amen. So in Matthew 17, we see a truth. It's not something we really talk about that much, and even me. But I think it is eye-opening, and as I began to study for this, um, I found it wasn't just an isolated incident. The gospel writers actually, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes, talk about this several times in the New Testament. They share God's truth, and God gave us just enough truth so that we could apply it in every area of our lives that needed it to be applied. You know, God's truth is applicable to all time periods, all nationalities. There is not one nation on earth that can read the word of God in their language, at least, and say, that doesn't apply to me. It can't happen because it's truth. That's the nature of truth. It can't be your truth or my truth, uh, as if to say it can be true for you and not for me or vice versa, then it wouldn't be true. True is true no matter what. In the passage we're reading today, Jesus shows uh, Peter here a true principle. A principle on submission to the laws and regulations of local authorities. We could even say in a bigger sense to government, because that's right what it boils down to. And there are truths for us here. Even though he's talking to Peter, showing Peter something that could carry on, it's interesting we'll see that Peter in his epistle writes about it. Peter has now learned that lesson. You know, we've all heard of countries, not as much in America, but uh, tyrannical dictatorships to where they really do things that are evil to the people. They enslave the people. We've all heard of uh, countries and nationalities that were uh, taken over by another country or nationality, enslaved or put under uh, harsh burdens. Uh, in a mild way, we've maybe experienced injustice in our own government, and I do say in a mild way. Even though we've not really experienced full tyranny, uh, at least those of us who grew up here in America, um, we have experienced some laws and regulations that maybe you and I don't think are fair or just or at least. Today, Jesus instructs Peter on how to handle this. And I think it's very eye-opening and instructive for us. Just to kind of catch us up to where we're going, uh, the three of the disciples had just been on a mountaintop experience with Jesus. In church, we would, we would call that the transfiguration. They had seen God's glory, seen Jesus for who he really was. His deity was revealed right before their eyes. Jesus was having a conversation with two men that had passed on, Elijah and Moses. Pretty eye-opening. I mean, these guys died hundreds of years ago, or they passed on anyhow. 
Then these men and Jesus travel back down the mountain, and they come back down to Caesarea Philippi, as far as we know, and they find the rest of the disciples, the other nine down there, in a discussion, possibly heated with the scribes. That's normally all the discussions with the scribes and Pharisees ended up being heated. And this time the disciples were a little embarrassed. They had tried something, and it hadn't worked. Something that Jesus told them they could do, and it hadn't worked. And there we came into last week's lesson on faith. Somewhere along the line, they had stopped doing it in the power God was giving them, and now they were doing it on their own, and they'd failed. Jesus was up in the mountain. One of, their, uh, one of the first little handful of times that they were on their own, and they had encountered something that they could not do just as an average church attender. This took real spiritual power. Jesus came, of course, and did it very easily. And he taught his men the lesson. Jesus now continues down the road to the cross. And within the next year, not necessarily of our timeline, but in history, the next year of history, Jesus would be at the cross 40 days later, of course, 43 days later. He would be ascending into heaven. And this is the road that he is on right now. He is going to leave his men and he is teaching them lesson after lesson after lesson that they will then apply. If they're right, they'll apply after he's gone. And now they have passed these things on to us and we're just privileged to, to take advantage of this. Last week's lesson was on faith. This week he teaches by example, teaches by example to them what it means to submit to those who are in authority over you purely because of who you are. Purely because of who you are. We're in Matthew 17. Let's go verse by verse as we normally do. Matthew 17, 22. 17.22, while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, so they're traveling down, they left Caesarea Philippi, they're traveling down towards Jerusalem very slowly over the next months. While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. Mark 9.32 on the screen behind me says, they understood not that saying, there's a parallel passage, and were afraid to ask him. He was telling them what was coming. They didn't get it. They didn't understand, and probably we wouldn't have either. We look back on the big picture. They don't have that privilege here. Their, their savior, their king, their leader was telling them, and we're going to see it over and over and over again. He's warning them what is going to happen. I don't know, if, I don't know about you, but talking in the third person seems a little strange to me. And um, I don't know about them. But whether it's talking in the third person or they just don't get the concept, they do not understand. And Mark tells us right there in the passage that they were afraid to ask. But Jesus here leads them and us in this uh, encounter that he's about to experience with Peter. He leads us by example in willing submission to earthly authorities. Willing submission. And it's so awesome to me. You'll never find, to my knowledge anyways, you'll never find God asking us to do something that he is unwilling to do himself. And what is amazing to me is that he doesn't have to do any of it. Like we have certain obligations as, as human beings. Uh, he is not obligated. He's God. He's at the top. He decides what is right and what is wrong. Think of that. You and I would be sinful to do that. He's right to do that. He decides as a sovereign God what he is going to allow and what he's not going to allow to go on. 
you and I would be selfish and prideful and self-willed to do something like that, not God. God leads as well in our passage today. He's in the flesh, wrapped in flesh, sorry, wrapped in flesh, and he shows us willing submission to earthly authorities. You know, he just went through that entire passage. We just read those verses, and it would almost seem like, maybe, maybe it was just me, but it almost seemed like Jesus is the victim here. You know, verse 22, we just read it. While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. They shall kill him. The third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. Why were they sorry? Because this was not good news to them. Almost seemed like he was the victim, right? That was in Matthew 17. Well, in Mark 9, 30, 31, the parallel verse there, it uses very same phraseology. It says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. They shall kill him. He shall rise the third day. He's almost like at the mercy of these things happening, but we know that that is not the case. This was willing submission on the part of our God. John enlightens us in that in John 10, 14 to 18 behind me. He says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Did you catch that? I lay down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And we would say amen. <laughs> amen to that. Nobody took his life. He gave it freely and willingly. But the disciples had a different reaction, did they not? In chapter 17, verse 23, they didn't say amen. They said, or they were, exceedingly sorry. This was very deflating and discouraging for them. But Jesus is leading us by example, willing submission to earthly authorities. Second thing we see is, is Jesus led an example by willing submission to earthly laws. Willing submission to earthly laws. As we get ready to walk through this event, there's going to be some words that I'm going to need to explain to you, so I just want you to be aware of. We, we use the King James Version here for a reason, accuracy and unity, okay? But there are some words that have become outdated, and it's really not the words, it's not the these and thous. That's, that's not really the problem in King James it's not even the words that we know we don't understand, okay? We can just study a little bit harder and get those. Uh, what the problem with the King James uh, in our language, okay? I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but if I do, I do. The problem is the words that we think we understand, but we really don't because they've changed in our language, okay? And that, that's just the nature of it. As our language evolves further and further away from the last revision, 1769, I think it was, they're telling me, um, our language continues to change. And so I'm going to point out a couple of these words. Don't be surprised by them, but you need to understand what they meant back then as opposed to what you think they mean now so that we can interpret this correctly, okay? So just keep that in mind and, and don't be surprised. Uh, the, our willing submission that Jesus showed to earthly laws. Letter A, Jesus submitted to the laws given by man. Jesus submitted to the laws in verse 24. It says, and when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, 
Doth not your master pay tribute? They came, interestingly enough, they didn't ask Jesus. They came and asked Peter. Right? I think that's very interesting. They're in Jesus' home base, Capernaum. We know that he went back and forth. He was, he was always in Capernaum quite a bit, very frequent. But this is also Peter's hometown, also where they called Matthew from. Okay, so there was a lot of activity, a lot of familiarity here. It says, they that received tribute, these tax collectors, approached Jesus and his disciples as they're coming back into town, and they approached Peter. This shows us once again that for all of Peter's mistakes, he was the leader in this group. It is constantly, matter of fact, that's, he's the only one that name, they name here, it's Peter. And they asked Peter a question, does not your master pay tribute? Now, the word tribute, or in some of your versions, says tax. It was actually a particular amount of money. A didrachman is the word in Greek. It means a double drachman. It's half a shekel, which means nothing to you and me. Two drachma, that was the temple tax. That was the money they were asking for. Uh, it was a Jewish tax, not a Roman tax. So keep that in mind. This was not from oppression by the Roman government. This was internal government. This was their own. This was Americans taxing Americans, Jews taxing Jews. Okay? And this actually was not even instituted by them. This was instituted by the Lord in, in Exodus chapter 30, um, verse 14. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. Did you catch that? Shall give an offering. That was a command. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. That's that two drachma, the drachman that we just read. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle. So now here we are later on in the history of Israel, and they're now at the temple. But this tax, this temple tax has been carried on, and the men come in, hey, Peter, we know you've been gone, but you still owe taxes. It's <laughs> good. Isn't it, it wouldn't be nice if uh, we can go off and do something else in life and come back and we don't have to pay our taxes anymore. Uh, that wasn't happening here either. They approached Peter right away. Peter, it's, does your master pay tax? And he went right, right about the guy in charge. This is Peter's hometown. Maybe that's why they chose him. I don't know. Uh, but they asked Peter. And Peter says in verse 25, chapter 17, verse 25, he saith, yes. Just a simple answer. As much as we would love for Peter to have said no, and we kind of see where the story is going, uh, no, we, we don't pay our taxes. We're not of this world. We're sojourners and strangers in the land. We don't owe you anything. That wasn't the case. They asked Peter if Jesus paid his taxes, and Peter said yes. Peter knew that. He wasn't tricking them. Jesus had already shown this by example. He paid his taxes. Peter knew that. Peter simply said yes. Even Jesus pays his taxes. Letter B, Jesus submitted to those who had no rightful authority over him. I think this is key. As Jesus is showing us the example of willing submission to earthly authorities, there are those of us who have a little bit of an independent streak, sometimes too much for our own good. And we would love for a reason that we don't have to obey, that we don't have to fall in line with everybody else. And we look for those. Maybe you're like that because I am. <laughs> and uh, I, I can identify with you. But Jesus submitted to those willingly, submitted to those who had no rightful authority over him. That's not the case for you and I, but it was for him. In verse 25, it says, And when he, Peter, was coming to the house, he just answered the question about the taxes. 
When Peter was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Now, you might not have really caught everything that was in here, and I didn't either at first glance, but as, as you pull this apart, there are some, there's some uh, ideas in here that we need to be aware of, okay? It could be assumed, first of all, the house they're going into. I think we could safely assume it's probably Peter's house. They didn't ask to come in. They didn't knock. They didn't give any normal uh, or polite, respectful salutations. Hey, can we come in? No, he just goes into a house, okay? And we know this is Peter's hometown. There seems to be a familiarity, it says, when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Well, if you're looking at a King James Version here, there's one of these words that you need to be aware of, prevented him. Um, this does not mean what you might think, that Jesus stopped him somehow. That's not what it means. Actually, it means to come before. Prevent meant back then to come before or to anticipate. Some of you have that written in front of you there. They were now here in this house behind closed doors. And before Simon could even ask the question, omniscient God knew what he was going to say. And he says, Peter, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Isn't that just so kind of him? It's so like him to make that connection. Peter, I want to know. I already know what you think, but I want, to, I want you to tell me what you think. I, I want to be involved in your life. That is discipleship right there. What thinkest thou, Simon? Simon, what are you thinking? You know, ever the teacher, Jesus and his lessons are always spot on. He says to Peter, when a king collects taxes or tributes from the residents of his kingdom, he says, does he collect those taxes from his own children or from those that are outside of his house? And it's an obvious answer. Obviously, the king wouldn't collect taxes from his own children, but Jesus is making a point. Interestingly enough, the word tribute here is different than the word tribute, tribute or tax, is different than the word tribute or tax that was used in the first question. They asked, they came into the town, remember, and they asked Jesus, or they asked Peter, does Jesus pay tribute? And some of your version says tax on there. Okay, we come to the second time that they use basically the same idea in English, tribute or tax, but it's actually two different Greek words, and you wouldn't know that if you didn't look it up. The first one was an actual amount of money to drachman. Does, your, does Jesus pay the didrachman? This is the temple tax to drachma. Does he pay that? Then when he comes back into this sense, and Jesus is now talking to them, this tribute is specifically, or tax is specifically what we would think it was, something that is owed. And the king is not talking about here about paying to didrachma anymore. Now he is saying, does a king, when he taxes his own kingdom, does he take that tax, what is owed to him, does he take that tax from his or from those outside of his own house? And Peter, of course, says, well, he takes it from strangers, from those outside of his house. And Jesus says this, it's an interesting phrase, then are the children free. What is he saying? They're free of this obligation. They're not, since they're of his house, they're not obligated to pay that tax. Interesting. Interesting. In the next verse, Jesus makes it clear. We're going to read it here in a minute. He makes it clear that this king and his children are referring to Jesus and his disciples. He makes that clear to them. The temple here was built as they're standing, getting ready to give tax for the temple. The temple was built for my worship, Jesus says, and you are the children of the king. 
So you don't owe anything. What's he saying? Would he say yes? But he doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, Paul echoes this testimony in Colossians 1, 16 through 18, uh, who Jesus rightfully was. He was the king, the ultimate king. For by him were all things created, this is talking about Jesus, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. This is God the Son. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul knew this. Of course, God showed it to him, but Paul knew this to be the truth. Jesus is the king of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, but he's king of, of everything. He is the originator. He is the only almighty potentate. He is above everything and everyone. And Jesus says, I mean, hey, if the, if the king took taxes from his kingdom, and he does, rightfully, does he take it from his own children? No. Then the children are free of that obligation. That would be you, Peter. But he goes on, <laughs> much to our dismay. <laughs> and we see that our king wants his children to submit as well. It's not just that he's willing to submit. He wants his children to submit to earthly authority as well. He says in verse 27, notwithstanding, or even though, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast in a hook, Take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Jesus says, Peter, just so we don't offend them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the sea. You're a fisherman. Cast in your, cast in your hook. Go fishing. First fish that you find, you're going to pull it in. You're going to open the mouth, and inside of it is going to be a piece of money. You're going to take that, and you're going to pay the tax for you and for me. You know, most of us, uh, those who claim to be Christians at least, would be okay with paying their taxes if that's how we got the tax money, right? <laughs> Let's just go fishing, right, Brother Smitty? <laughs> yeah, just go fishing. And we got several avid fishermen in here, and uh, they could finance all of our tax preparations. But Jesus tells Peter the reason they would submit to this tax was for a different reason, maybe an unusual reason, and definitely not the reason that you would be thinking would come from the man who was going to overthrow the Roman government and was going to bring Israel back to its glory days. He says, lest we should offend them, we'll go ahead and pay. We don't owe it. I'm the king. And you're right, Simon, I am the king. You just saw my deity on the mountain of transfiguration. We don't really owe them anything, but so we don't offend them, we'll pay it. I don't know about you, but that, that's the reason. That's the only reason he lists, so we don't offend them. He's not talking about offending a brother. He's talking about offending the outside world. The world, quite honestly, he doesn't owe anything to. But this is the heart of our Lord. This is his heart. This word offend there in the Greek is the word skandalizo. Sound familiar? Scandal. We get our English word scandal from. In our context, in this context here, it means to cause to stumble. The English word scandal kind of gives us a good picture of what Jesus was talking about here and why Jesus said for Peter, 
go ahead and pay the tax even though we don't technically owe it. I think most of us in, in this information age where if somebody in leadership is involved in a scandal, we all hear about it immediately, right? Whether we hear everything that actually happened or not, that's a different story, but we hear some semblance of it. Most of us can think of at least one, if not several, Christian leaders or um, national leaders that have fallen into sin or some sort of scandal and the effect that that had on us. You know, we, we, maybe you trusted them. Maybe you aligned with their thinking. Maybe you really got behind that leader and thought, you know, this is going to be good. He's going to do something great for this country. Or you, you really listened to this pastor or preacher on podcasts, and boy, God's, God really spoke to you through his word. And then to come to find out they'd fallen in sin and involved in scandal, and it's made public. And all of a sudden, even the good things that they did now, in your mind, are in question. Because why? Because of the scandalizo. It caused you to stumble at who they were. Jesus says, I don't, I don't want to cause people to stumble. I came here for a purpose. So I'm going to willingly submit to authority that really has no rightful authority over me. I'm going to submit to them because I don't want them to stumble at who I am. And he says, I don't want you to do that either. God wants his children to submit as well. We bear the name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, Paul so appropriately entitles us ambassadors. Oh, yes, we're from a different country. We'll do the study, and you can be in your fellowship group for this study. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're not going to be here forever. This is not our final resting place. <laughs> so we're ambassadors, quite literally and spiritually. And even though it's a choice of every individual sinner whether to obey the gospel or not and to come to Jesus in repentance and faith or not, God gives you and I the power of that choice. God is still concerned about what the lost world sees when they look at him. It doesn't change who he is. That's undoubtedly. Remember, we just a couple weeks ago, we said, you know, if we deny him, he'll deny us. But it doesn't matter ultimately if we deny him or not. It does not change who he is. But here's the compassion of our Lord. It matters to him. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to see him for who he is. He wants us to come to him for the salvation that he offers and his goodness and his grace. He wants us to enjoy that and partake of that. He's concerned that this lost world sees him accurately. We see this all through the Bible. I mean, we wonder sometimes in the Old Testament when somebody was killed because they messed up a picture of Jesus Christ. They messed up a symbol that God was creating to portray who was coming. That was serious business with God. God wants you and I to know who he is. He wants that. We now are his image here in New Testament, right? Jesus says in verse 27, we just read it, lest we should offend them, go ahead and pay the tax. When we do not obey the laws of the land, it, it hinders that ability to reflect him. I mean, I think all of us really know that in our hearts and minds, even though some of us would rather not fall in line with those things. If the shoe were switched and we saw someone else disobeying the law, we would not think, oh, that's a really good Christian over there. Even though in our own hearts, if we're honest, we like a little bit of that. I have to, I mean, nobody's going to see if I go this speed. 
Nobody's going to see. <laughs> Nobody's going to see if I don't claim this on my taxes. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. God here is just bringing us to the point of honesty, is he not? He didn't have to submit. I mean, he had honestly no obligation whatsoever. His only obligation was a willing obligation that I want people, lost people, sinners in the world to see me for who I am. I want them to know who I am, and I know if I do not pay this tax, they're going to stumble at who I am. They're going to stumble at Jesus. You know, Peter, there is an exception to this, and and we're probably all aware of this, but the only exception I found is in a couple different places in Scripture. Acts 5 was one of them, where Peter and the apostles, they're, they're out performing miracles, right? Authenticating the message of Jesus Christ. For a time period, God gave them miracles, and they were able to do wonders and signs before the people to authenticate what Jesus had had left them to preach and teach. But the law of the land at that time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The law of the land. The Sadducees come in. They hate this. They put the apostles in prison. We don't know exactly what group of apostles it was, but Peter was in there. And God tells them to go back out and preach the message again. He lets them out of jail supernaturally. The the Sadducees come in to check on them. They're not there. They're embarrassed, knowing, obviously, we cannot imprison these guys. They just get right out. So they approach them very carefully, but to save face, come out into the public area, and now they're in the temple preaching the same message again. And they say, we asked you not to do this. We told you, don't do this. You know, a little embarrassed. Now you're back out here doing it again, and Peter explains to them why. And you've you've heard the verse in Acts 5, 29 there behind me. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, here's why we do this. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now we dare not take this way out of context, meaning we can form our own little group of radical Christians that do not obey the laws of men, only the laws of God, because God just told us here in Matthew 17, lest we offend them. Pay the tax. Lest we offend them, it is more important that they see God for who he is, they see God through our reflection, than it is that we get out of something that we don't necessarily, as citizens of a different kingdom, don't necessarily have to pay. And this this is authenticated throughout the New Testament. Of course, we saw it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did the same thing. But here we are. Why exactly is this? Jesus doesn't really say much else about it. He says this to Peter, but we find later on in life that Peter has now cemented this principle in his life, and he talks about it. But even the apostle Paul talks about it as far as the why, and we'll, we'll move quickly down through the why, but the why as we see in Scripture, why New Testament writers expand on this, we do this because this life is not about us. It's not about us. God has greater purposes in mind than the goals, dreams, and desires that you and I have. He has greater purposes. And those goals, dreams, and desires are not necessarily evil unless they're not in line with God's purposes. Then something that could be good, our goals, our dreams, and desires, the American dream, could actually end up being evil if it goes against what God is purposing to do. This story we just read with Peter, it's not simply a one-time exhortation between Jesus and Peter. We see this idea of submitting to worldly authorities moving forward throughout the New Testament. Just a little bit of what we see. I could not do it exhaustively. Come back for fellowship groups next week and you'll see this. 
In Romans chapter 13, we see that we should submit, all of us should submit uh, in Romans chapter 13 because we trust his purposes. We trust his purposes. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I like reasons. I actually really love reasons for the things that I do. Um, and I'll just call it for what it is. Probably my rebellious nature doesn't like to be told what to do if there's no reason for what I'm doing. And so God has to deal with me on that from time to time. Maybe you're the same. But we should submit our will because we trust his purposes. What does he say there in Romans 13? Paul is exhorting the church at Rome. And he says, let every soul, pretty sure that's every soul, be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. There's some absolute statements in these two verses. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Those are one of the, that's one of those verses that's really hard to take literally. I don't know about you. Really hard to take literally. Paul is exhorting us that God has a greater purpose than why you or I think we need to fall in line with this or that regulation or law. Even though some of them seem ridiculous and unusual, God clearly tells us in the New Testament, if it's not disobeying God, if it's not causing us to contradict God, which it does sometimes, then we are to submit. We're to submit so that they don't stumble at the God we represent. We should submit our will because we trust his purposes. Letter B, we should submit our actions for the Lord's sake. Submit our actions for the Lord's sake. In 2 Peter, or 1 Peter now, go ahead and turn there, would you? Uh, we'll go ahead and finish off in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, about 30 years later, Peter is writing. The same guy that was asked the question a few minutes ago in our text. He's now writing to strangers throughout a list of lands. He's telling them now, we should submit our actions for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. 1 Peter 2.13, I'm going to begin reading. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Catch this word here in verse 16, as free. Sound familiar? Not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That is easy or hard to do for many of us, including myself, depending on who the king is. But he does not differentiate that here. He doesn't. This same honor, this same respect, this same love is to be given to those in authority, according to Jesus. Peter is now promoting. He has learned it. He's learned why. Why I should submit to every ordinance of man. The same ordinance, by the way, that's trying to kill, in my mind, the Savior, trying to kill the Messiah, I should submit to them. I don't want to submit to them. I mean, we have it kind of easy in America. We don't have a whole lot of that persecution going on. Got it pretty easy here. 
It was, in, it was up in Peter's face. Jesus says, submit. Lest we offend him, I mean, even their taxes. Just pay. Just pay. What about this letter C? He, Peter goes on. We should submit our attitudes because Jesus did. We should submit our attitudes because Jesus did. He goes on about, in verse 18, same passage, about servants. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't mean as much to us because in, I don't think we have any servants. We don't have any slaves in this room. Okay, that's been abolished in our country. Thank God for that. Um, but it was not abolished at this time in history. It was a very real thing. Uh, much of the Roman Empire consisted of slaves. He says here, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, that's worthy of thanks right there. Verse 20, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. He started that whole paragraph off, servants, be subject to your own masters. I want you to submit yourself. You know that submission can be something that we are forced to do, okay, but that's not the submission we're talking about here. He's talking about a willing subjection to put yourself under the authority of another, and in this case, authority that really, humanly speaking, uh, speaking of the, the standards that we have in Jesus Christ and the authority we have in God our Father, no man is to be a slave. No man is to be put into slavery, that was never God's idea. He says, but even if that's the case, submit yourself. Submit yourself, because here's what's thankworthy. If you'll underdo, undergo hardships, if you'll be buffeted for your faults and you're patient, in other words, you don't react, you don't get angry, you don't get vengeful, you don't get bitter, you're patient, and you do well, this is acceptable with God. Why? Here's an interesting phrase, for hereunto were ye called. You're called to this, you're my children. You're called to this. Jesus did it first, left us an example that we should follow his steps. So maybe keeping these things in mind, I don't know about you and me, but when I look at my little desires to, why did they give me a speeding ticket? I mean, I wasn't, in t I wasn't only going six miles over. I was, you know, when I look at those little petty things, in my own life, not that I only go six miles over, I'm just saying. <laughs> when I look at it like that, my little gripe seems so small and insignificant. It's really not a hardship really at all, when I should have just been obeying the law in the first place. And I could pretty much guarantee, at least in my own case, that I would not with a clear conscience want to witness to any of those police officers that pulled me over. So that's exactly what God is talking about here lest we cause them to stumble. Lastly, we should submit, he goes on in 1 Peter 3, it gets better. We should submit in our marriages so our spouse can see Jesus in us. He takes this whole idea of submitting to different authorities in our life, into governments, uh, submitting to a master, or we could even say a, a boss or a supervisor at work, and takes it into our marriages, submitting uh, wives, submitting to their husbands, 
And it says, likewise, in the very next chapter, 1 Peter 3, verse 1, likewise, just like Jesus submitted in all this, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Remember that conversation. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's one of those words. They may be won by the conversation of the, of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. This is the opposite. This is the result, the opposite end of what Jesus is talking about. This is, not, this is a wife that is married to an unbelieving husband, and she is taking on Jesus' attitude of willing submission and saying, I do not want to cause him to stumble. Matter of fact, Jesus here is promising me that if I will live a godly and chaste life in front of him, if I will submit to that husband, even though he doesn't treat me well, he's not leading me correctly, he's not uh, bringing our family together in the, in the things of God, raising our children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, even though that... Not only do I not want to cause him to stumble, but God says if I will turn that around so that he can look at me and see my life, I have a chance to win him. God has a chance through my manner of living, my lifestyle as a wife living with an unsaved husband. God has a chance to use that to do the opposite of causing him to stumble, to draw him to himself so that he might be saved. God has his own purposes. And this is really at the whole core of it all. God has his own purposes. And we, if we're truly his followers, we want to know what those purposes are. And we want to follow in line with God's purposes, even when it seems unreasonable, even when it really cramps our style, even when we're trying to get ahead. And I've got to pay taxes on that too. This is getting ridiculous. Jesus said, submit. I have a bigger purpose in mind. He's the sovereign one, not mine, not me. He's the one who desires us to submit ourselves to earthly authorities while we're down here, whether they're just or not. He's the one that wants you and I, his child, to be salt and light. Even just think of that aspect of it. Salt and light has to be seen, has to be touched, has to be experienced. What are others seeing, touching, experience when they come in contact with us? Are they seeing the Lord or are they seeing someone who doesn't have to obey the rules? Jesus was training Simon. Simon, you're going to lead my men. You're going to be a big, you're going to be part of the, the bigger rock that I'm forming in the church of Jesus Christ. This is my plan. Now fall in line. The question for us, are we going to be part of that plan? Are we allowing things, maybe even just to us a little thing, of falling in line with some government regulations, some laws that maybe aren't even really enforced, but when others look at us, we all know that that would not be a good witnessing situation, would not be a good representation of the Lord. Maybe we need to submit anyways. Maybe we do. I hope the Lord is taught you something this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. 
This is uh, one of those passages where uh, I just like, I would like to just enjoy my freedom and be glad that certain things aren't enforced. And uh, we'll just go ahead and, I'll just go ahead and call it a gray area. But then I have to understand and submit to the idea that my sovereign God has a purpose for me being here. And it's really not about my pleasure and my will. Even though when I'm following God, I get plenty of that. It's about his purpose and his will. And if I'm doing something, if I'm allowing something in my life that would hinder his image, on this planet, how, how can I balk at that? Father, we, we need your help with this. Lord, I think probably all of us in this room, we're not at the point to where we're really facing any kind of tyranny locally or even nationally probably more than likely just a bunch of stuff that we don't agree with. Nobody's making us uh, disobey your laws. We still have that freedom. Lord, it may come to that, but for right now, for most of us in this room, Lord, we are dealing with your purposes. Do we fall in line with your purposes or do we have it our way? You give us that choice, just like you gave Peter the choice. But you wanted to show him how important the lost world's view of God is. We represent you today. Lord, we are your witnesses. We are your ambassadors. We are your light. Help us to show you accurately. In your name I ask, amen. Would you all stand? Heads